What up, everybody? We're going to talk a lot about New York and the applications that they're going to have in 2022. It's a very insular minority of people that are going to be able to have a cannabis license in the Empire State, at least at first. Uh, I hear it's supposed to break wide open this summer, but we're going to really concentrate on two groups, the hemp farmers and the justice involved. Of course, this is about the adult use cannabis industry, which means that you have to be over 21. Let's get into it. All right. Hopefully everybody gets the emails and this comes up. But if not, this is going to get to be turned into two episodes on cannabis legalization news. First, about the cultivation license that we're going to discuss and then about the justice involved dispensary licenses. My name is Tom. Uh, you can find me at Cannabis Industry Lawyer on Instagram or you can go to my website, CannabisIndustryLawyer.com and fill out a form to see if your team is qualified to get a cannabis license. There's also a button to give us a phone call uh, and let's talk about the New York Cannabis License launch. Um, again, I think I've already kind of introduced who I am. Uh, just for one more, just so like, you know, if you're wondering what my contact info is, am I allowed to move myself? No, I am not. All right, there. Uh, that's my email address, the website that is there. And then of course, my Instagram. So uh, please do get in touch with us at those channels. And now let's talk about the hemp farmers. Uh, this is something that we can help hemp farmer companies uh, as their outside general counsel will kind of start setting up the uh, structures that are uh, important in uh, uh, cannabis because it's federally legal still. I don't think it's going to be federally legal for several more years. And as a result, you have structures to preserve a few things. First being social equity. In this instance, it'll be called justice involved. And then also to mitigate uh, liabilities. Uh, and the mitigation of the liabilities comes to tax and then also certain banking issues uh, and, and other compliance issues when it comes to uh, social equity, for example. Uh, and then, of course, what you do see a lot uh, are consultants that sell this application narrative work process for a license. And basically what that means is we're going to talk about aspects of your uh, application. And we've, we've gotten the list for both and we'll go over each one. Uh, first, we'll go over the hemp farmers that become cultivators. And then we'll go over the dispensaries that are social equity justice involved only. Uh, all right. And let's put that back in there. Huh, just takes a little bit of time. Uh, we can also help you draft any type of formation or capital raise documents that you need because there's a certain structure of these things so that they are compliant with securities laws that do not yet apply because, of course, it's a federal crime, but you still want to do everything correctly, uh, future-proofing yourself. Why that not work? All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about what the hemp farmers are going to get. They get a farm a whole acre. That is 43,560 square feet, according to a study from uh, Connecticut Hemp Farmers, which is pretty close uh, equivalent, I'd say. It is approximately 250 pounds of flour per acre. Uh, and at $1,000 a pound, if this is just outdoor, and $1,000 a pound for outdoor is actually pretty good, that would be about $2.5 million. So the hemp farmers may be able to make about $2.5 million, actually more, there's some stuff about greenhouses that we could uh, discuss, but talk to me later about greenhouses and the 20 artificial lights that you're allowed to have. But anyway, uh, essentially, the hemp farmers are going to be able to do one acre of regular grass, and they can also use a combination of greenhouses or a uh, greenhouse alone, a 20,000 square foot of greenhouse space. Uh, you know, 25,000 if they're going to go straight greenhouse. If they're going to go hybrid, you can do 20,000 in greenhouse and 10,000 outdoor. Uh, now, four season cultivation in greenhouses, right? But you only have 20 lights. And so those 20 lights mean that, well, we can discuss that later uh, to determine how, how much canopy size you'd be able to have in a greenhouse with 20 lights. Uh, in indoor, we can do the math on that. And it doesn't seem all that... Uh, great like an indoor light is about 18.35 square foot per light light a little bit more a little bit less it depends on how big that light is uh which means that this wouldn't be all that good it would be about 500 square feet of uh greenhouse space that you'd be able to farm four months out of the year but again uh, that's indoor lights that's not 
greenhouse mix lights. So you'd actually get more than that. Uh, and you know, should you, how do you want to approach it? You know, do you want to go cheap your first year and just seed outdoor? Because the costs for that aren't all that much. The outdoor costs might be uh, 20 to 30,000 bucks an acre. Uh, and that's, that's very reasonable. If your top line is going to be 2.5 uh, million and your bottom line is uh, about 30,000, uh, you know, but uh, then there's also greenhouses that can uh, boost your ability to sell products. Anyway, uh, let's get into the interesting. So the thing that they really uh, have in this is this uh, compliance rollout. Uh, you are fast tracked into it and you can apply right now. You can go and, and get your application in and then you're going to have uh, some, some deadlines that are going to catch up to you. First deadline is going to be that you have a month to get your site plan and your security plan down. Uh, and then that site plan and security plan has to be fairly detailed. We will be getting more regulatory authority on that in approximately a month. So we'll know. And then six months after licensing, you're going to need your operating plan. And that has 11 elements. And we'll go over those here in a bit. And then 12 months after licensure, you have to have your annual cultivation report. It's 29 elements, and it also includes an LPA, which of course is a labor peace agreement. And that labor peace agreement um, is a, it's a contract with a union, for lack of a better term. And then after June 1st, 2023, uh, you will need to have your own distribution or, or processing as well. And um, then you'll have a little bit more time. You'll have the rest of that season. Uh, and then after two years, two crop years, you're going to need to be completely compliant and not be a conditional anymore. You're going to have to grow yourself up and be compliant with all of the regs that will be forthcoming. Uh, we should have them in fairly short order. And what the OCM, which is the Office of Cannabis Management New York, has published provides um, a great deal of context. You know, not everything, but... Uh, it, it, it gives you the ability to see some foreshadowing. And that's something that we should go over now uh, together. I'm going to have to hit escape on this for a little bit. Let me just kind of remove it and uh, help go to the next one. There it is. And this is what the state published not that long ago, actually. It's, it's 3-14-22. So it probably came out on the 14th. And then on the Ides of March on the 15th, New York started taking cultivation applications, but not from anybody. Very few people, like 200, 200 to 250 hemp farmers in New York were able to qualify for this. That's it. And as a result, um, you know, if you got it, great. If not, I'm sorry. It's just not your time yet. Uh, so hemp farmers are going to be buying some seeds. And April 8th, they're, in theory, they could be getting going depending on what facilities they already had, uh, you know, clones or, or whatnot in their nurseries. Uh, exciting times. But they, they have to apply for $2,000 to apply. And then you know, once they issue your licensure, you have um, this this deadlines that you're on. They have some definitions. Definitions very often come up in uh, regulations and in statutes, very often in the front, uh, you know, section or article one, mostly definitions, uh, safe to say, or, or the facts. But those are usually more in preambles, recitals. Okay, uh, let's go into what you need on this operating plan. Now, this operating plan that's there, this is what you need to have within that first month. You can see that. And now when you're reading regulations, this is when you can start to understand how you'll be organizing a lot of the, uh, the plans, the work product that the consultants would be drafting for the narrative. A site plan indicating the activities performed in each area and detailing all physical boundaries, roads, and water crossings of the property further outlined in section three, eight site plan modifications. And so it's cross-referencing a different area. And before we get to the security, let's go flip down to section eight to see exactly what types of things are going to need to be in this site plan. I assume it's going to mostly be uh, graphical and not necessarily be a uh, narrative heavy thing. But look, here is the sub elements that you have to compile and get together Let's see. And then if anything changes, you have 10 calendar days to make that change. So as you are building out your cultivation facilities uh, or your operations, you have this ongoing compliance duty that the OCM is telegraphing to you 
that you have 10 days to update it. So make sure in team, somebody's job is um, dedicated as the lead administrator or the compliance officer, the person who is really good at paperwork uh, that they can get all these things done. Uh, you know, hire a paralegal. Or, well, I'm not sure if you're going to have the ability or the budget as a hemp fire farmer to hire a paralegal, but uh, administration is quite crucial in what you're getting yourself into as there is a lot of compliance that you're going to have to do and deadlines and calendars and, and correspondence and whatnot. So uh, the first thing they want, flowering canopy, obviously. They want to know where you're growing it and what. Area outside the canopy, if applicable. So if you have a, you know, a veg room in one of your, or a clone room in one of your greenhouses, pesticides, drying area, processing area, harvest storage area, you're essentially building out your uh, cultivation facility, your other uh, sites, the flowering rooms, secure cannabis waste area. So you're going to have a, a waste uh, uh, policies uh, and waste management plan. I could see that coming in the future. Sanitary facilities actually define sanitary facilities in this, and they make it something that you are going to need to be in compliance with. For example, hand washing stations appear in this. I don't know how many of the hemp farmers currently have hand washing stations in their facilities. Some, I'm sure. Perimeter dimensions, entrances, and exits. Is that it? It just goes to repeat. Nope. There's also QRNS. And so, other activities or other license activities. Must keep all used areas of the drill scoop cannabis harvesting driving separate and distinct from any area designated for hemp cultivation under the department. So even though it's still essentially the same plant without the presence of one particular chemical, you got to keep them separated. The state wants you to keep them separated. Okay, and that you have in your first week. I'm sorry, month. And then after the second, no, we're still in the first month. You have to dual track this. That's the annual cultivation report. Let's go back to the operating plan. And that's where we're at with this first month. Then you need your security and staff safety plan, detailing risk mitigation and accident prevention plan, result from detailed risk assessment, all cannabis, all stages of cannabis production to be submitted to the office within 30 days of licensure. That is some that is a Tony problem. And so you guys need to call Tony Gallo on that. Or at um, uh, Sapphire. There's also our security providers that are in this industry that do quality work. Um, you know, uh, and and they will give you a quote, and then that is where you're going to have that narrative, and you'll pay a license fee to be able to use it. That's your first 30 days. That is quite a lift. You get your license, and then you're ready to like go plant. And while you're ready to go farm, they're asking for details. Uh, one of which is going to be visual, and there might be some narrative demonstrating compliance, depending on what types of things we see in the regulations coming out in May. And then the second one is completely narrative in the sense that you have a security and staff safety plan um, detailing risk mitigation, accident for prevention, uh, resulting from uh, detailed risk assessment. And so, you know, we have sections that we can already start breaking this um, piece of narrative into, but we don't yet have context when we have the regulations. Those are forthcoming. And then we create the plan that is uh, what, what you need. All right. Um, I'm going to just, you know, um, Okay, and so I think I need to check into YouTube because this has been listed as a private video as opposed to an unlisted video. When this was set up, it was supposed to be created as an unlisted video. Okay, and it um, says that I am live, but it also mentions that I'm private, unlisted, done, and safe. And uh, that should have fixed whatever glitch there was. This is no longer a private video. We will edit that out in post. Uh, of course, we'll take as many questions as we would have liked. If you have any questions, head on over to CannabisIndustryLawyer.com and uh, we'll go from there. So uh, that's your first 30 days. Now we're into your next mm, five months. 
it's not like the cavalcade of documentation has stopped. Uh, what's actually going to happen is now you have to put together even more information. Uh, now that more information that you need is going to be listed on these 11 elements. Uh, and let's take them in reverse order. Sustainable energy use and conservation plan. These are routinely provided for in um, applications. You know, even New Mexico, which is a very open state, has one of these plans that is required for it. Uh, same with the water and conservation plans, cannabis recall plans. You see that all the time. Uh, quality assurance plan. Yep. Cannabis sampling uh, analysis and testing plan. We're going to there's going to be regulations that will be coming out and we'll be able to see them and we'll know what they want when it comes to recall. We'll know what they want when it comes to QA. There's applications that we've used all over the country that has these things that was done well and that was effective previously, but they're um, tuned or they are, you know, characterized for a particular jurisdiction because every new jurisdiction changes the rules slightly, puts their own spin on things and has their own methodology of citations uh, and on what they're looking for in the completeness of a particular application. Okay, IPM, Pest Management and Control Plan, document based on integrated pest management principles that is adequate for the facility, type and size. This is um, some dense stuff. Environmental Impact Plan, there we go. Uh, how many environmental impact plans were required for your hemp farm? Now, uh, every state is slightly different. If New York State had a very highly regulated hemp program, these types of things may already be in there. Cultivation plan uh, document includes a detailed overview of all cultivation, processing, storage, and record-keeping policies and procedures. Uh, all of this needs to be compiled within your first six months while you're farming. Uh, and then, um, you know, you get done with your harvest. And we'll talk about that after this. Now we have the, the last of the first year. And so up-to-date site plan. Uh, remember how the site plan has to be done in 30 days. But then it's not just that it's done in 30 days. As you are building out your farm or your facility uh, and you make changes to that, that site plan, that site plan is a living document that you have to update every 10 days and then you know offer the uh, updates to the OCM. So again, administration uh, um, support and admin is going to be important on your team. Okay, and then it gets into what I like to call inventory control systems uh, or inventory management systems. This is uh, very often a metric uh, relational database, sometimes a BioTrack THC relational database if they have uh, gotten themselves inserted into the approved list of vendors on that. Uh, BioTrack THC is not as old uh, or as well developed as the metric system, which is the more uh, robust of the two in the sense that it has an open uh, source more for APIs that other uh, service providers that do these types of inventory management systems can then create software as a service that they can sell to license holders like you. You're going to need one. Uh, and, and, you know, all physical inventory of cannabis at any stage and all associated labels uh, accurately in an, uh, an electronic inventory management system. Uh, will it be metric? Probably. Uh, traceability, functionality, capable of showing complete production history of cannabis at any stage, including cannabis that has been released for sale to a total recall and all associated cannabis if necessary. Yes, it's a real obvious track and trace protocols that they expect you to have in place within your first year of operations. It's really awesome that you don't have to write all this crap out in a uh, complex uh, and complete application prior to even being in the conversation of cultivating cannabis. I'm really stoked that New York's doing it this way in the sense that it's like, well, go grow it. No, you already have a license. Now just get into compliance over time. Uh, but the compliance over time, I think, is going to take a, a complete application that's going to have a lot of narrative work product in it. Uh, and, and then that's just how it is in highly regulated cannabis very often. Agricultural input list, detailed plant production application records for any propagation treatments, soil, you have to do a facility energy audit for like one year of use reports, records of scouting and monitoring for pests, records of submission to each production cycle to a testing lab. So all of this, these business records that your company is gonna be kicking off that's one of the reasons why they started with the inventory control system software at the very beginning. Uh, a lot of these things are going to be compiled in real time as you are doing your operations, provided that you have the right systems in place. 
Uh, I don't know which uh, service provider, which uh, one is going to really spearhead it. I'll try to have them on uh, the program, Cannabis Legalization News. Check it out uh, Sunday. It'll be a Sunday show and we'd have a guest that has uh, solutions for these types of things. It'll probably integrate with metric, but um, list of all equipment, records of all plant removal, records of all employees and independent contractors, staff health and safety procedures, sign consents from every employee, <laughs> routine of class and containers, how, how often you clean it, what are your records of cleaning and sanitizing. Yeah, and so they want it sanitary, which is great, and then pest management records of mock recalls so you could have some training where you're going to do a mock recall visitor log you just can't say come on by to the farm next week bob i'll show you where the weed is no 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 the site plan mandated that you have to keep it separated right and so if somebody's going to go check out the weed farm you need a visitor log you just can't have people over uh, and then the kicker, number 29, signed copy of a labor peace agreement as required by the cannabis law and as detailed in section 20, probably section 20 below. Yep. And they'll define that then below in this. And a labor peace agreement essentially is just a union contract. Uh, you can get them from the unions. They're, they, they're like, well, you would like to enter into one? Great. Uh, that's how we've typically got them before. The UCFW uh, has been uh, one of the unions that's active in the cannabis space. I anticipate other ones becoming active as well, but it, we can help you find an LPA. Uh, and of course, that's your first year. And then after your, your first year, there's going to be more developments from the regulators. And those regulators, you know, hopefully, and this is something we want to celebrate over at Cannabis Legalization News, the week that starts the day after 420, I want to have be regulators week that leads up to uh, April 28th was the day that Warren G released regulate. But uh, we did the compliance rollout. Now let's talk about some potential roadblocks that may befall the rollout of this uh, very interesting hemp program that uh, New York State has to uh, create uh, an adequate supply of THC cannabis for its people by the end of the year. Now, the Dormant Commerce Clause lawsuits, those are real things. Uh, they have been uh, very effective throughout the United States. And essentially, uh, one state cannot preference another state when there is interstate commerce, even if there's no interstate commerce. That's kind of what it, it stands for. And then that has been successful. Most recently, a Dormant Commerce Clause lawsuit was filed in Illinois in late March to invalidate their uh, uh, dispensary licenses. Now you're going to maybe see them uh, unless the state of New York opens the eligibility beyond New York hemp farmers within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, and that's what I think is actually going to happen. They are just giving the hemp farmers an easy you know, time to become a more profitable farmer uh, prior to opening up the regular application window as they get their uh, affairs in order and their regulations in place. And regulations, you know, they don't just get conceived of, you know, uh, by God and they come out perfect. They're, they're man-made and they're man-made in a, a space that they don't really know much about because it's new. Uh, so regulations very often get changed and they're they're clunky. Like there's some regulations in Illinois that I think really need to change because they're standing in the way of things. But how open they make this state will uh, help to mitigate the dormant commerce clause lawsuits. Another common lawsuit that you see in instances like this where the only people who are allowed to grow cannabis are the 200 and 250 hemp farmers already in the state. That is something you see called special legislation in New York. They really don't have this as much as I've seen in other states, which is essentially kind of like a, an offshoot of the equal protection. It's essentially a ban by the legislature. The legislature is prohibited from creating a law that impacts just a special class of people when a general law should have applied. But in New York, they really don't have that. They have the they have, the, uh, they have the same concept, but then it's just applied to local governments. So like local governments aren't allowed to create these special laws, but not the state government, you know, in, in um, other states, in Illinois one, but then it's, it's all over the place. It's in Minnesota, it's in Kentucky, it's, uh, and that's why I thought maybe it'd be a New York state, they have a stripe of it. Those also cause lawsuits. Uh, 
for example, uh, if only veterans could get the license. You would say you've made this special legislation that only benefits them when a general law would have been fine. Why'd you do that? Uh, and they try to invalidate that requirement. And so here they've made a very special law that only benefits uh, hemp farmers. So why do they do that? But New York law might not be uh, like other states where the state might be able to do that. And, um, you know, that's a matter for the courts. But then if they open this up to other um, uh, eligible applicants, uh, they may mitigate that, that litigation risk. Okay, shady business people also get in the way. Like I said at the beginning of this, the back of the cocktail, cocktail napkin math was $2.5 million for just the, uh, the outdoor at $1,000 a pound at 2,500 pounds. You know, it was, no, it was 250 pounds uh, at 1,000, something like that. Um, but I'll, I'll do that math uh, on better cocktail napkins in the future as the question about the greenhouse space and the 20 lights that you're allowed to have becomes more important. Because what canopy size can you have for 20 lights in a greenhouse? That's a million dollar question that hemp farmers right now are getting their pencils out in the state of New York to uh, calculate. Another reason why you might want to be in one of those sealed greenhouses is hemp pollen. You may want to stay away from hemp pollen. Uh, this has befelled many um, uh, farmers that could lead to seeding, but also weak sauce and maybe a you know other other stuff. So it's it's it, you want to you want to watch out for uh, pollination because then you're going to get all right. So let's say it's hemp, great, but then you're still going to be seeded, and so a lot of that. Uh, energy that the plant could have been using to create cannabinoids went into creating beans. Great if you're if you're you know going for that, but most people aren't uh, in that first year. Anyway, one more thing that we have to look out for: compliance issues. We just spent almost a half hour going over uh, the uh, new plans that the OCM has released for the hemp farmers to be the first cannabis cultivators in uh, the Empire State. And as you see, it's it's wonderful that they say, get going and then get compliant and then get compliant and then get compliant so that by the time that after those two crop years are done, they don't need to be conditional anymore. Now they can be uh, real cannabis cultivation operators, complete compliance with the New York laws for safety and for purity. And, and that's a wonderful thing. And so we're going to get to questions here at the end. And now I think we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to start on the, um, the next one, which of course is the dispensaries. Me again, Cannabis Industry Lawyer Tom Howard. You can find me over at CannabisIndustryLawyer.com or uh, our law firm's website, CollateralBase.com. And now we're going to discuss the dispensaries that are coming to New York State uh, this summer. There should be an application window. And then I hope that that application window is more like New Jersey than Illinois in the sense that application windows can open and shut you know, real quick. Uh, the shortest application window that I've seen so far was West Orange, New Jersey. It was eight or nine days. It came out on a Wednesday. It was due next Friday. They wanted more than just what was in the conditional application. Uh, and, and that's tough because that means that you had to have gotten them approximately over 100 pages of narrative work product uh, within that time. And so that's just breakneck speed. I hope it's not like that. Uh, I hope it's going to be more along the line of just regular New Jersey, where they, they telegraph it. They say it's coming. Uh, here's what's in the application. We will begin accepting them on such and such day. And they just begin accepting them and processing them. And that's where I hope these, as the New York Times reported in March of 2022, the OCM, that's the Office of Cannabis Management out of New York, they have reserved the first 100 dispensaries for equity-involved applicants a completely new uh, legal term of art that we're going to be going over. Uh, it's a very insular and select minority. I mean, it's just, it's so difficult to be one of these people. There's not that many of them in the state. Uh, and of course, regulations in the draft, 35 pages for part 116 are for the conditional adult use dispensaries. They have been released. We're going to be going over those regulations right now. And there doesn't appear to be any numerical limits 
regarding the number of dispensaries in the states. At least I haven't seen any yet in the MRTA, that's the Marijuana Regulation and Tax Act. Prove me wrong. Um, I hope I hope that's that doesn't become the case. But there, you know, there's no numerical limits as far as I'm aware for the number of dispensaries. And Section 80 of the MRTA, the MRTA, they do put vertical integration limits. So you're going to be it's similar to Washington State. You have to pick a lane. You can grow it. You can sell it. You can't do both. It's it's more difficult to do both. So what is in it? Oh, this is something that I always like to do when uh, people are talking about getting a dispensary in a regulated state and a new state comes online and it's going to be fairly regulated. I'm like, let's talk about what a simple dispensary looks like in the highly regulated space that is cannabis. This was provided to us by the Illinois Department of Federal Financial and Professional Regulation when they did their uh, application window back in uh, 2019. So um, you have this license E LLC, this little thing at the bottom, and then you got all these LLCs floating around it and even a publicly traded cannabis conglomerate incorporated floating on top of it. And you have a pass through LLC and then you have a management LLC, you have a holding company LLC, and then you have this licensee LLC. Well, it's this licensee LLC in the middle that has to be justice involved ownership. That has to be the eligible LLC in the middle. And then you have the holding LLC, which is like the landlord, the real estate play at the side. And then you have that management LLC at the other side. And that's kind of like um, doing your PEOs, your back ends, your administrative, all the other type of stuff that you're not allowed to deduct. And then you have that pass through LLC. And that's just kind of, you know, that's a place where the money goes to pay the taxes and then flow through. And then it goes all the way back up to the publicly traded cannabis conglomerate in New York State. That would be Columbia Care or soon to be Cresco. This is essentially what Cresco does with each one of their multiple dispensaries. Anyway, well, they don't I don't think they have any social equity ones yet. This would still be the organizational structure that they would then do for uh, asset protection and um, allocation to uh, protect the assets and shield them and kind of you you put an asset into an LLC so that you've limited its its ability to have that value that's in there and also you've shielded its risk so like if something goes wrong with that LLC it's not going to affect the management company and the real estate company and yada yada okay just a simple retail store right okay Section 116.4 of these new regs, and we're going to be going over them after we go over this uh, large trends um, as well. We'll be sharing these, but the most important section, I'd say, after what goes into the application, because why would you even look at what goes into the application if you can't figure out if you're even eligible for an application and an evaluation? So the eligibility requirements are in that uh, 116.4 section. And that's where you need to be justice involved. And that's 116.4, A21, uh, Roman numeral one, tiny one. And then they also talk about what constitutes a qualifying business because it's not enough. It's not enough just to be justice involved. No, no, you also need to qualify. And then they talk about something else, which I had to read three times because it was like in uh, Arrested Development when something can't, no, no more than three, but no less than five. You know, what does that mean? It was one of those deals. But if you read it enough, you're going to see that an applicant control minimums, 51% of the total under 16.4 for a justice involvement in qualifying business means that it has to be a, a 51% of the total of the qualifying business must be justice involved. And 30% of that 51% has to go to just one guy that has sole control. And then, not only that, they're also going to now start nitpicking uh, this social, well, it's not called social equity, it's called justice involved uh, applicant to see how much street cred kind of that they have. Like a, a, a justice involved applicant that was arrested in the poshest neighborhood won't be as important as a social equity. And again, justice involved applicant that was arrested in an impact zone or an economically disadvantaged zone, depending on what uh, the OCM decides to call theirs. I hope they call them DIAs so I don't have to learn any more um, uh, acronyms. But uh, very often the 
aspects of social equity are not only the arrest or conviction for marijuana, but also a long time residency in a, an, an area of the country that was disproportionately injured by the failed drug war, which is still going on. I mean, like we can't sell tickets to this thing. Uh, we this is a federal crime. Uh, they, they actively censor our industry. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, cannabis prohibition is hanging around so long and that other uh, groups that have been injured uh, over the past have been able to access their rights quicker because it's not a crime to be them. You know, it's not a federal conspiracy if they're trying to get their message message out like it is for, for cannabis uh, businesses. Okay, let me see what our next one is. Yeah, and now I'm going to take this off for a minute and we're going to dig into the very specifics of the um, definitionals. And so with that, I'm going to zoom in on part 116 and we go to these regs and these, both these regs and then also these materials, they've, they've been produced and provided, of course, by the OCM. So far, very impressed with uh, New York's website, very nice interface, and they seem to have a lot more transparency than certain Midwestern states. And uh, they also, you know, New Jersey did a very good job and New Jersey's doing a very good job, Mike. Uh, and I hope that they are going to do more of that and less of what Connecticut is just very difficult to navigate their um, their 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 stuff. But Connecticut also has an application window right now for social equity that is closing in about a month. So let's go back to Section 116 and dig into the eligibility aspects of it. And then we're going to talk about what's actually in the application. So once we find, and that's one of the reasons why your team is so important when it comes to your dispensary, because you need to have the justice involved, and then you need to have a qualifying business, and then it needs to be just in the right neighborhood too, to put you over the line into that 100. Uh, and then, you know, we'll talk about the risks, very similar risks, because they've essentially paid everybody else out of a corner or into a corner and said, only these 10 people in the whole state. And it's not 10. It's probably a million or less. Well, because the way they've defined it, it has to be more than a million as they've gotten generational, even spousal in the definition. Let's go to the eligibility. Okay. So they have to demonstrate first a significant presence in New York state uh, and then maybe a dormant commerce clause challenge coming, but those, those happen all the time in this industry. Uh, and then be justice involved which means that, and I'm going to zoom in on this one, uh, convicted of a marijuana-related offense prior to when it became enacted, or, and then this is where it gets uh, intergenerational and also spousal, legal guardian, child, spouse, or dependent who was convicted, uh, was dependent of an individual and see, you know, it's, were you their kid or was it you or was it your spouse? And then they want to know where you live. And so it's not, they look for the arrest, I'm sorry, the conviction. New York is also a conviction state. Some other states, it's the arrest. This one is the conviction. Uh, and then they have and hold, and this is an interesting one. Suddenly now you have to be, for a minimum of two years, at least 10% ownership in and control of a qualifying business, which means a business that had a net profit for the last two years, the business was in operation, or if the application is a nonprofit and nonprofit organization. So now, how many people can click them boxes, right? How many people can say spousal generational? All right, find the marijuana convictions in the state of New York. Look at their family tree. Which ones are in business, small business? Which ones for the past two years have posted a profit? That is the entire sample set of eligible applicants. That's it. I, I don't know what the name, the answer of that uh, you know question is, but it, it's a finite one. There's only so many people. Is it a million? Maybe. So like one out of 20 New Yorkers might be eligible for this. They created a law that says 95% of the people that reside in this state can't do this industry. Uh, just to start, you know, that's that's the thing. When they make laws too special, uh, equal protection and uh, due process challenges can start to arise, uh, even if they do say that this is a privilege and not a property right, which they often say. So now you're going to have a lot 501c3s getting formed right now uh, because the pool of equity involved applicants that haven't 
at least for the past two years, turned a profit in a business of which they own 10% is probably larger than the ones that do have the business. Uh, and there you go. And so uh, that's one of the ways <laughs> that they have made this exceedingly complex. And here's the other stuff where it gets interesting, you know, applicant controls and minimums, the subsection B on this 51% or more has to be one of these qualifying that we went through. That's uh, A1 and A, A2. That's the conviction or, or in the spousal and the familial convictions. Uh, it satisfies the requirement for an eligible applicant in A1 and A3 and any other individuals, if any, who are social justice involved. And then they almost have the exact same paragraph here, but then uh, shall own at least 30% of the applicant and such individual or entity shall have sole control of the applicant or license. And then you see here, it's at least one individual. And here it says 51% or more. So now like, you know, now you, the wickets are just getting smaller and smaller as you read this. And we haven't even looked at what the application entails. Um, it, it, Jay Sharkowski and, and Canon Advisors should have no problem charging their reasonable $100,000 that they charge to do their services for an application like this. Uh, and that, it's like, whew. anyway, we're going to get to that real quick. I just wanted to uh, kind of belabor the point of how insular of a number of people that are going to be able to actually qualify for this. And so when people want our help over at uh, Collateral Base or Cannabis Industry Lawyer to help them apply for their licenses, yeah, no problem. I give you a perfect application. Uh, but if you don't hit all those wickets, what's the point, you know? And, and with that, I think we should. And then the evaluation. I want to cover the evaluation on this first because we just did the um, uh, the control minimums. And so now I want to do the evaluation and then we'll get to the contents of the application as far as we know them so far. So the evaluation, an eligible applicant shall be evaluated based on any of the following uh, criteria as weight determined by the office. That's the OCM. The application is an individual where they themselves convicted of the marijuana crime. And then relative to these areas, where did they live at the time of such conviction? You know, and, and that's really, really interesting. Uh, so that's that's something that it's just restricting it. And the more you look at it, the more restrictive it gets. And now let's have some fun and go to the second section. Uh, I'll say it's uh, the application. It's 116.2. So there we go. And let's blow this up. This is what goes into this application, right? And it starts inauspiciously. Legal name. And then the name under which they want to operate or make sales if different. Uh, and that's nice. Jersey, you have to use the same name. Uh, other states are allowed to do DBAs. Looks like New York allows that as well. Address and date of birth. Uh, where the, the applicant and each true party of interest of the applicant. So your LLC needs an address. Remember... One of the ways that you could be eligible is that you had a business that turns a profit for the past two years. So that should be pretty easy to do. That's the trick about this one. If you got it, you don't need it. But if you need it, you got it, right? Um, a copy of a valid photo ID. That's not that bad. Personal history disclosure. Those can be tricky. Personal history disclosures are sometimes check the box. Sometimes they're uh, quite long. New Jersey's was quite long, about uh, 14 pages. Submission of fingerprints. Common. Ownership structure of the applicant, kind of common. It'll probably be done in a cap table and or a um, order chart, maybe even both. Percentage of ownership held uh, by true party of interest in the applicant. They define these true party of interest. They define financiers in this. List of all parent companies, subs, affiliates, predecessors, successors. Yep. And they this this aspect of it really makes it more difficult and complex for the MSOs to apply uh, and New Jersey did this as well. So if you were a fresh LLC startup that qualified for social equity, they call it there, uh, justice involved as they call it here, uh, it is streamlined it, because you don't have to fill these things out. Like if you are one of those companies and like you were convicted and then you became a roofer, you own a roofing business, you've been profitable for 10 years, that's it, That's they want you. Uh, especially if you were arrested in a terrible area of, of town. Um, you, you got the golden ticket, man. It's just good luck trying to find you. And then also good luck trying to get this information because of censorship. Like, again, I can't put an ad in front of your face about this. 
Uh, anyway, those people that aren't, you know, they're closely held companies, one, two owners, these types of disclosures, much more streamlined. I don't really like seeing big teams or publicly traded teams like that because then I know like, oh crap, the heavy lifting on this, I'm gonna have to charge you more because it's gonna take a lot longer. It's a lot more complex application than if it's a, a startup or a uh, company that has been closely held and that would be eligible as a business in this respect. Uh, okay, let's continue to move on. Uh, the names of the financial institutions. Now, this is going to where things are going to be tricky. It's like, you know, you were a roofer and now it's like, and now we want to start selling weed. Might have an issue with banking. Uh, and then current chart, org chart. And then look at that. They, they keep going on. They want to know everybody, all the people, all the seats on the bus, all resumes, all their skills, all their education, all their experience. Organizational documents. Now, that's your LLC uh, stuff. So the more uh, corporate and complex, the more people on the cap table, the more shareholders, the, the larger this application number 12 will be. Uh, the single member LLC, no debt, nothing like that, doesn't owe nobody anything. Uh, four page operating agreement, maybe, you know, but that's not typical in the cannabis industry. Okay. If the applicant is not an individual, description of the formation and all ownership changes. They want to see who's been a partner, who's is a partner. All compensation agreements between the applicant and each true party of interest. That would be like if your consultant wants, uh, in a, you know, equity kickers as a bonus or they want a success fee as a bonus. Um, or if you are just as involved and you've been hanging 50, 60, $80,000 on uh, your designers and your architects and your, you know, your accountant and your lawyer and all your other people say, as soon as we get open, we'll pay it. Uh, and then those would also be included in your uh, number 15, any proposed executed contract term sheet agreement, side letters uh, between the applicant, true parties of interest. Those are there. And then they also want to know your bonds. Number 17, audited financial statements. Audited financial statements for a startup, much shorter than audited financial statements for a company that's been in business for 10, 15 years. All sources of funding. They want to know all sources of funding. Uh, details of state and federal administration proceedings. You see that a lot. Very often those are check the box. Have you ever lost a license? Have you ever been sanctions? Have you ever stolen money? Uh, manage or service the board, business or nonprofit. Pled guilty to find, had a receipt. That's in there. Uh, information related to a business community plan. That is going to be some narrative work product. I, we, I, I can't wait to see the regulations on this because then this related to a business continu continuity plan. Um, how There's probably going to be some type of regulation in there about how you are able to pass this on uh, to either the community or to uh, generational wealth. You know, Certificate of good status or good standing common uh applicant of true parties of interest same uh copy of each license or verifying license you know that might be one of those things if there's depending on what the business does it requires licenses to be able to operate for example you're a lawyer you probably have a law license you're a doctor you probably have a medical license uh, that type of if you're a beautician i'm sure there's a license involved yeah. uh, management agreements and so let's say that you are that roofer and you're like well Magically, I qualify. It's a golden ticket. Might as well. Uh, and then somebody else, maybe in Colorado, maybe in California, uh, maybe in Oklahoma, maybe in Michigan, uh, states where they have open and vibrant uh, cannabis markets, they might say, we'll manage your dispensary for you, sir. You go back to fixing roofs and collecting those checks. Uh, uh, that would be what you would then have to tender to them. And the list of the vendors out of compliance has been discipline or sanctions. So we're only on uh, number 29. And so far they have been mm, kind of like administrative. They haven't had a lot of uh, a compliance narrative. Let's see insurance. That's usually a one page LOI from uh, nine point insurance for information may exist between them. Okay. And then like board relationships, you know, trying to prevent any types of um, window dressing or, um, sham transactions, I, I would imagine. Information regarding compliance with sections 1116A41, so that we're going to have some type of uh, documentation that we're going to have to prepare and submit to the OCM that uh, evidences your eligibility. Uh, and they've already gone over what they're looking for, so they'll they'll do the job right. They'll give you a list. They'll, they'll have an attestation. They have one in New Jersey. It's four pages. We're looking for these documents. We're looking for those documents. Now sign here, get it notarized, scan it in. 
We can help you set all that stuff up. Any additional information requested by the office and then general. So it's it's 34, 35 aspects of it. It's going to be a dense application, but it's not necessarily so far, at least when it comes to the conditional, it doesn't seem like it's asking for a lot of the operational requirements that you need. For example, when we were going over the hemp stuff, uh, we were talking about various plans and protocols and procedures, uh, those types of narrative work product things. Those are also going to be in your dispensary. Uh, however, they just haven't specified them as yet in that application. And they do say any additional information requested by the office, this is a conditional, this is not full right. And so uh, what you're seeing in the industry currently, and Illinois is even adopting this for their next round of uh, dispensaries, you see a conditional process, which asks for a lot of that um, structural uh, administrative type of compliance issues where they aren't really asking for the narrative work product to demonstrate compliance with the regulations for how you're going to operate. They're just making sure they know how you're structured, if you're eligible, who's getting paid, what they're getting paid, all those types of things. And then, you know, you you make, you, you allow yourself to be fingerprinted and background checks and you check boxes to determine if you are a felon. Well, felons are not automatically disqualified. It depends the type of felon. Anyway, uh, I believe that kind of wraps up the stuff. One of the things we like to do uh, at the shop is we make, and this is for our clients, in our uh, application mastermind section. Now we'll be adding these checklists, uh, this one for the New York cannabis cultivation application. So we go through and we would punch each one of these things out as we are building out the application. We also have it for the, um, and then we have tabs down there at the bottom. We also have it for the dispensaries, at least as far as we know it. Like these, these checklists that we make are going to get even more built out after the regulations hit, which we anticipate in approximately a month. So thank you very much for tuning in to our broadcast. And if you enjoy this, smash likes, click subscribe, visit us over at Cannabis Industry Lawyer and consider becoming a member or a client of Collateral Base. Thanks, everybody. And I will see you uh, when it's 420 somewhere. Thanks.